Let's take our Bibles and we'll turn back to our familiar text for this series, the Solomon and the Queen in 1 Kings chapter 10, reading 1 through 13. And we'll read through this pretty quickly. It should be pretty familiar with you uh, by now as we continue this. There are 11 of the 13 verses that are pertinent to our study. So uh, 11 and uh, 12 are pertinent to someone else, but we'll read through it. 1 Kings 10 verse 1, And when the queen of Sheba heard that the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom in the house that he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices, very great store, and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir brought in from Ophir great plenty of almug trees and precious stones. And the king made of the almug trees pillars for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, harps also and psalteries for singers. There came no such almug trees, nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. So we've been looking at, and we left off last week with looking at Solomon and his wisdom and understanding that God had given him. We didn't get very far in that, so we're going to continue that today as we, of course, see in Solomon things pertaining to Christ. Similitudes, comparative resemblance is what we're talking about. And our key scripture on that is the Christ's own words, Matthew 12, 42, a greater than Solomon is here. So we're learning about details about our Lord and Savior through the things that are revealed unto Solomon, multiplied times infinite number. <laughs> That's the way it works. And we saw last week and established in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 15, which we will not read again, where God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding. It was a divine gift. He promised him also what he did not ask for, wealth and riches, which is what most people humanly would ask for of anybody if they thought they could give it. 
So Solomon was blessed in a great way. We would direct your attention to verse 28 of 1 Kings chapter 3 that kind of ends the chapter by this summation. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. And that just happened to be the two women that came disputing about the child and so forth and so on. But again, we were told there that God gave him this wisdom and understanding. It was a divine gift. And now everyone sees and acknowledges that. And there's other scriptures that speak to this also which we're going to read. But I want to pause right here and make the point for you to continue to contemplate as we read these scriptures, that again, it was a gift of God. And it still is a gift of God for me and you. And I want to point out the world's definition of wisdom is what a person can achieve or learn or go to school and things and comprehend and that's all well and good. But what's more important is to be a child of God and have the Holy Spirit open you up to divine truth. As I said to you before, that will bless you in this life and you can take it with you when you leave this life. All that other stuff you learned is going to stay here. So we emphasize something that I have tried to emphasize to all the people I've ever preached to or tried to pastor, and that is this. It doesn't matter what your IQ is or what you know or what you've learned in school, what kind of degree you may or may not have, your ability to learn or not to learn. When we come to the divine part, we're talking about something totally different. And, and by that I mean I'm talking about people who in times past have been illiterate, couldn't read and write or what have you, or maybe today. It doesn't matter. If you've been born again to the Spirit of God, God has just opened up the divine university. And God teaches things by the Holy Spirit above and beyond what the mind can learn or comprehend in the world sense. So again, this is still the way it works. None of us will be as wise as Solomon, but let me say this to you and you take it in context. You can be as wise as you want to spiritually if you'll apply yourself. We mentioned it last week. How much room do you have in your life or in your mind for God? The reason a lot of people don't know more about God and don't know more about the Bible is because they got their mind filled and their heart filled with the cares and the things of this world. If you're truly a child of God, it's unlimited what you can learn, what you can know. You might remember me preaching on this subject when we preached on the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Well, if you don't have any room in your heart and your mind and a life, you're not going to get filled with the Spirit. Satan wants to fill that up with something else. Some of that stuff's got to go if we're going to have room for the Spirit. And I mentioned this last week, and I'll say it to us as we press on here. Again, 
we must empty ourselves as Solomon did in his humility when he made this request. And then God filled him up and run it over. And I assure you today, if you didn't tell me the details of your life, if you're really a Christian, the greatest spiritual blessings you've had, when God poured out the greatest spiritual blessings into your heart and into your mind was when you emptied it of yourself and other things that were going on. That, that's the way it works. It's not difficult in principle. The difficulty is doing it. How important is it? So God fills Solomon with wisdom and understanding that no man, as we read, and I emphasize this because this would be a debatable subject in our world. It shouldn't be debatable among Christians. God said it, we believe it. Nobody was as wise as Solomon before and nobody has been or will be thereafter humanly other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But the limit we can go to, God only knows. Let's read some, more, read some more scriptures on this. Let's go to the fourth chapter, emphasizing what we've already read about God's divine gift. Chapter 4 of 1 Kings, reading at verse 29. And we'll read through verse 34. 4 and 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart even as the sand that is on the seashore. Now here again, we've already read this already, but here we've got an additional detail. And it helps us to understand. God doesn't repeat things for the sake of repeating it. He repeats things just like it's in certain things. We can be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to give us different, more details to understand it. So again, this was God's doing. Think of it again in the human perspective. This doesn't mean that Solomon had to be born to genius for God to do this. No. <laughs> no. Uh, God could have put this kind of wisdom and understanding in an animal if he wanted to. God could do that. And God is able to do that. No matter what kind of brain we're born with, when it comes to putting spiritual things in there, it's different than the world's things. It's a whole different, whole different area, whole different category. It's divine. And God does this with every one of His children. Because if you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that, that room is open. It's there. That room is there. That library is there. That ability is there. And I'll say that again and repeat it, that we might appreciate it. You know what you know today if you know anything, spiritually. Because God has done to you in some proportion exactly what He did to Solomon. Amen. That's right. He has opened your understanding that you might understand the Scripture. Just like Lydia's heart was open that she intended unto the things of Paul. And usually, and the way this is supposed to work is, the more you learn, the greater appetite you have for more of it. Unless it gets stagnated out by things of the world. So again, contemplate this with me, and keeping in the back of your mind that this great largeness and wisdom and knowledge that Solomon had was surpassed infinitely 
in the person of Christ. Just keep that in the back of your mind. A greater than Solomon. But nobody else had what Solomon had. Largeness of heart. And we've studied the trichotomy of man. This is a figure of expression. You know, that the heart again is the palace of the soul, the mind, the conscience, all the faculties and our constitution kind of reside there, so to speak. And he says, even as the sand is on the seashore, this is a beautiful illustration. What is the sand on the seashore? Well, that's the boundary of the sea, isn't it? That's, that's the boundary that defines the largeness of the sea, right? If there's just a little bit of sand around a little small pond, then there's not much largeness, is there? But when you come to the sand that goes around an ocean, you're talking about a great expanse. So this is literally saying, and that's why that's written like this, is that God just expanded the boundaries of Solomon's mind to understand and know things, I guess we could say beyond our finite comprehension. But again, God can do that because God made man. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it would be kind of like, you know, I'll illustrate it this way. Just think about a little balloon. You know, you take that little balloon that don't have any air in it, and you just puff on it enough just, just to get it taunt. Okay? Think about that. That just, let's just say that's a normal human mind. Well, with Solomon, imagine that thing expanding out to three or four feet. Yeah, this is the idea. You get it? God did that. God did that. And Solomon's wisdom exceeded the wisdom, excelled the wisdom of all the children of the East Country and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men. I said it last week. What are we gleaning from this? You take all the wisdom of everybody else and put it in a basket and you still don't measure out what Solomon had. Solomon exceeded it all. Wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman and Chalcol and Darda the sons of Mahal and his fame was in all nations round about. He spake 3,000 proverbs. His songs were a thousand and five. And here, these last two verses kind of give us a little more in depth and something to think about. Okay, yeah, he was filled with knowledge. He was full. What does that mean? Well, he wrote a bunch of stuff. Yeah, we understand that. What? But yet, that doesn't take us into what he knew. This verse 33 kind of takes us into what he knew. He spake of trees. The study of trees is called dendrology. So he was a dendrologist. He knew all about all the trees. I mean, I got a book on dendrology that I bought in advance when I was in college and going into forestry school for my next semester and I never made it. I still got that book. In fact, I got a couple of them on dendrology. I don't know how long it would take to, to understand all that's in those books about all the different kinds of various trees that there are. But whatever there was in Solomon's time, it appears he knew about them. He was a dendrologist. He could tell you about trees. From the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even of the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. Whatever kind of plant it was. He was a botanist. 
That's what a botanist is. They study plants. He knew all of that. He spake also of beast and a fowl. That's biology. He was a biologist. He was a naturalist. And of creeping things, reptiles and fishes, oceanic life. I mean, think about somebody that specializes in any one of these fields. How they're revered and respected even today, right? But how many people are there that know what there is to know about all of this? You see, that this is what set him apart. There came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom. He was the authority. On everything. Economics, politics, again, the things we just covered, science, astrology. He was the go-to person. Today we can go to different specialists of medicine or whatever, this or that in different fields, but here it was one source. That's important. Because when it comes to Christ, the way, the truth, the life. There is no other source. There's no other Savior. He just stands out. Like Saul stood out head and shoulders above his everybody else. Solomon stood out in his day. And Christ stands out even more. Let me put it to you this way right here. I think this is a good illustration. Solomon learned about everything that was created. Christ was the creator of all of it. He knew it from the beginning. He didn't have to learn it except as a man learned things, as, an in, as a human, because he was the creator and architect about it. In that sense, he knew about it before it was. Solomon learned it afterwards. Christ always knew it as creator. So no wonder everybody stood in awe of this man because there never been anybody like him. Never been anybody like him. The vast knowledge and understanding and wisdom that he had. Scripture come to mind. I mentioned that a while ago. That again, we'll never attain to Solomon, but we can attain to whatever we want to. If we humble our... I, I, I firmly believe this, folks. It's up to you. It's up to me. How much do we want to know of this book? How much do we want to know of God? The more you want to know, God promises to give. Do you know that? Did you know God made that promise? If you want, ask. If you'll empty yourself and make room, I'll fill it up. Can I give you that scripture? It's way over in the New Testament in the little book of James. The book of James chapter 1 and verse 5. Bet you've forgotten this, but it's going to ring a bell when I read it. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. You believe that? Solomon's living proof of it. But that promise is still intact today to you and me. We have someone in this church that frequently in pray and prays for wisdom. Is he praying amiss or is he dead on? Dead on. 
if you know your Bible. That's what it says. We all lack wisdom. And no matter how much wisdom we get, we're still going to be lacking because there's more to be had. And probably our little thimble full can't hold it all, but my, it's nice when that thimble runs over, isn't it? So James says, if, if you like wisdom, ask God. And notice he's not stingy. He giveth to all liberally. He doesn't give to all like Solomon, but he gives liberally to all who seek and who ask and who knock. Isn't that something? So as the old saying goes, it's yours for the taking. 1 Kings 5 verse 12, another statement made about Solomon. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. There was peace between Haram and Solomon. The two made a league together, but again, it's repeated again. And then we go over to our text chapter, chapter 10, and drop down to verse 23 and 24 of that chapter. And we read, So Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. And if you could have either of those, which would you choose first? If you're smart, you'd take wisdom. You realize riches will pass away. Most people would make the mistake, if they're lost especially, of taking riches. Verse 24, And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. In repetition here, time and time, we're reading, here's Solomon, the vessel, and God filled it up so that everybody could not only hear and see Solomon, but know that it was God that did it. That's the point we should get out of this. Which God put in his heart. Again, I say, he put that knowledge and understanding and wisdom in him. He puts it in us, what little we've got. If we want more, make room, God will liberally give it. What, what a blessing. What a tremendous, tremendous blessing that is. Well, I want to, before I press on to Christ, and I may not have time to do that comparative thing today, I want to show you something else. And that is a scripture in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 2 and verse 9. A couple more points here to make. And then we'll apply all these things we've said about Solomon to our Lord Jesus Christ. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 9, and of course you know Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us himself now what God did to him. All right? Very important statement made here. Ecclesiastes 2.9 So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. That's something we haven't read like that yet, have we? We've read numerous times about God giving Solomon all of this wisdom. And he gave him wealth and riches and everything else as he said he was. But here Solomon makes a statement about my wisdom remaining with me. What is the implication or the meaning of that? Must cause us to wonder. Well, you don't have to think about that very serious, very long to get, I believe, the gist of it. How many people, though not as wealthy, as wise, as full of wisdom as Solomon have there been, 
We don't know. But the bottom line is, how many of them could handle it? And the answer is, not a one. Whether it's education, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, or riches and the luxuries and the things of this world, which Solomon had again, all there was to have of both in his lifetime. There's not a man or woman alive can handle that in and of and by themselves. In fact, it is those very things that ruin people. Is it not? Wealth ruins people. Education ruins some people. You know? Popularity. Uh, these people come into them, the prestige of being in such a place where you draw all people to you, ruins people. It goes to their head. Yet Solomon says, his wisdom remained with him. And I want to comment on that just a little bit. At the time, and for a time, it didn't, let's use the phrase that we're familiar with, it didn't go to his head. He knew what he was before. He knew the dream and that God offered this to him and that God gave it to him and that if God hadn't given it to him, he wouldn't have had it. We saw the humility last week there in the third chapter. So all of that stayed on Solomon's mind and didn't let it exalt himself to a place that he shouldn't go. Okay? However, there's a very sad ending with Solomon, if you're familiar with the story of Solomon. And that ending is in 1 Kings chapter 11. And it says, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zidonites, and the Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their God, Solomon, clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. And it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect before the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonites, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. And he goes on and talks about more of that idolatry in the end. I hate to have to say that. It's, a very, it's the saddest thing about Solomon when we've been building him up and what God did to him. And I say this in the context of the scripture we read in Ecclesiastes. For a long period of time, obviously, Solomon didn't let it go to his head. But eventually, in his old age, something got to him. And it was his love or lust of women. And that brought idolatry. And we struggle with that. How can somebody so wise be so foolish? 
We'll never be able to balance that out, I don't think, in our minds in this life. But here's the thing I want you to know and understand about this. Solomon was great. Solomon had wisdom. Solomon surpassed all individuals before and after. But Solomon was not invincible nor impeccable. And we see that in what I've just read to you there. As was Christ. Whether the Bible tells us or not, there's more than one flaw in every child of God. We have to look long and hard to find any in Joseph, Jacob's son, or in Daniel. To me, they supremely stand as the cream of the crop. Solomon would be right there except for what I've just read to you out of the 11th chapter. David would have been right there except for Bathsheba and then the numbering of Israel's and another mistake or two. You know, I mean, so while we hold these individuals in high regard and we look at the similitude of their comparative resemblance to Christ and likewise, Solomon ended up being deceived in his old age by women to engage in idolatry and that was his downfall and sadly he lost the testimony. No wonder Christ could say a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus Christ was impeccable. He could not sin, he did not sin. But let's dwell on that a little bit in the remaining time here of what was meant by that again that he kept his wisdom. And I don't usually quote commentators when I'm preaching much but sometimes you just, they just say it so much better that it's better for me to repeat it than to try to spend 15 minutes telling you what they said. <laughs> so, let me read this to you. It's a great commentary by the great Baptist Matthew Henry on what Solomon meant when he said, yet, and I'll paraphrase it, I didn't lose my head or it didn't go to my head. And let me also say, the only way that you and I can be exalted by God's hand and it not go to our head and ruin us is for us to stay humble. And the only way to stay humble is remember you're nothing except what God has done by His grace. That's it. The humility that Solomon had, Solomon lost at some point in his old age, or that would not have happened. Because when you're humble before your God, you're going to be obedient unto God. You're not going to lose sight of the statutes, the commandments, and the precepts to violate them. Humbleness promotes obedience and adherence to what the will of God is. But here's what Matthew Henry said, and I think it's very good. Listen carefully. Solomon's pleasures did not debauch his judgment and conscience. Okay? I mean, again, he had, he had the world, he had everything the world had to offer, riches-wise. He had more gold, more silver, more servants, more horses, more animals, more anything. I mean, more, down to peacocks. I mean, the Bible describes this stuff. He had everything the world had to offer and more of it. That would ruin anybody. There's not a sinner alive that's up to that task. But the wisdom that God gave him kept him from being ruined at least for a long period of time. In the midst of these entertainments, his wisdom remained with him. In the midst of all these childish delights, he preserved his spirit manly, kept the possession of his own soul, 
and maintain the dominion of reason over the appetites of sense, at least until the very end. Then the appetite got the best of it. Such a vast stock of wisdom had he that it was not wasted and impaired as any other man's would have been by the course of life. And again, we don't have to look far and wide, do we? We can look in any generation of human history that gives us accurate descriptions of people who attain greatness, wealth, win wars, do whatever, and they end up ruined. Alexander the Great didn't make 35 years old in his greatness. You know, I mean, history is full of those shipwrecks. But let none be emboldened hereby to lay the reins on the neck of their appetites, presuming that they may do that and yet retain their wisdom. For they have not such strength of wisdom as Solomon had. And I will say that again. To have what Solomon had and to resist temptations as he did for as long as he did took, again, a divine strength that none of us probably have. It had to be in proportion to what he had to prevent him from succumbing to the appetites of the flesh, whether it was the money, the women, or whatever, earlier than he did. Solomon was deceived. For how did his wisdom remain with him when he lost his religion as far as to build altars to strange God for the humoring of his strange wives? Thus far, when he wrote that in Ecclesiastes and until he got to the end in old age, his wisdom remained with him and he was master over his pleasures and not a slave to them. And I'm bringing this out not again to try to down him in this, but it's God's grace in a sense it didn't happen sooner. If you get my jest, and I hope you take that right. He was not a slave to the pleasures, but kept himself capable of making judgment of them. And then he closes with this sentence, and listen to this very carefully. This really captures, I believe, everything we're talking about. He went over into the enemy's country, not as a deserter, but as a spy to discover the nakedness of their land. So it's not like he apostatized from God willingly and then fell into that. No, it eventually got the best of him. I thought that was just a wonderful way of describing that verse and how that for such a long period of time he held out and resisted those things, so to speak. Let me give you one more, and this is going to wrap up about our time. This is another commentator by the name of John Trapp. And this is much briefer, so it won't take us very long. Commenting on Ecclesiastes 2.9, he said, Outward things are dead things and cannot touch the soul, a lively spirit, unless by way of taint. And I would just say right there, this is something that Solomon understood for a long period of time, therefore he did not go that route, and it is something that we must learn from him and understand also. Everything out here is a dead thing. It is a vanishing thing. It is a temporal thing. Right? It's the things of the soul. 
that need to be preserved and protected. We can't let this stuff taint or corrupt this. And Solomon kept that balanced and intact up until the end. Now anytime those things start converging together, that's when we get in trouble. Keep your soul, right? Keep the spiritual aspect. In the New Testament, Paul talked about unblemished, unspotted from the world. The things out here not corrupting the things in here. And this is the battle we fight as Christians every day. Because Satan is slinging mud every day. When you get up out of the bed, he's probably already slinging mud. He wants to blemish or corrupt not just your testimony or life out here, but he wants to get at what's in here. And the only way we prevent that is, God help me, because <laughs> all that's in here and that's pure, you put there, and if it's going to stay pure, God, you've got to help me keep it pure by the Holy Spirit and by the Word, or else this stuff out here is going to keep like being in water. It'll saturate me and soak in here little by little. So outward things are dead things. We must realize that. They're not the important things. Don't let those things touch the things in here lest they taint it. Solomon, if not at first, yet at length was fearfully tainted by them making good of a poet. It was a Roman poet that he quotes and it's in Latin so I'm not going to read it to you because I don't know how to read Latin. But I am going to interpret it for you because the meaning is very important. It was a Roman poet named Marshall. M-A-R-T-I-A-L. And it's a three-line statement. And the first one is, this guy was a philosopher. He wasn't a Christian as far as I know. He's just a philosopher, poet. But the first one is, wealth permits stupidity. That's, that's true. It, the Bible even says that in so many words. And again, history proves it. I mean, people get rich and they do stupid things. Nobody who wins the lottery keeps the lottery, it seems like. I mean, you know, people get stupid with money. I've known people that was raised poor as dirt, earthworm, and come into money and it, it destroys them. So again, this is something the Bible says, the love of money, you know. Money's not a bad thing, it's the love of it. It's what you do with it. If you're saved by the grace of God and God gives you money and you know where it comes from and you didn't earn it, but God blessed you and gave it and you keep that perspective, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. It don't matter how much it is. You'll be all right. But you lose sight of the source, you're in trouble. And it'll start flying away like a bird and ain't no telling where you'll end up. Wealth permits or is an avenue, is a channel, is a conduit, opens the door to stupidity. It is a hard thing not to surrender morals for riches. Hard thing. I mean, this old flesh likes the wealth, the accumulation, the abundance, the goods, the assets, and all. I mean, the flesh... 
human nature, fallen in nature, feeds on that like carrions do on something dead, don't they? Solomon withstood that up until the end. And then I'm not sure about the last one, but I'll give it to you. When you have conquered so many crosses, you are a Latin woman. When you have conquered so many crosses, you are a Latin woman. And nothing against women here today, but I think I've looked and I have not been able to find some good interpretation of that. But in view of the first two lines and applying this to Solomon, you know, he conquered so much for so long and yet he was silly in the end. And of course, I'm not saying all women are silly. But there is a scripture in the New Testament that refers to silly women. Men can be just as silly as women can in that regard. And you take that in the context and as a woman you won't be offended and as a man you won't be offended at what I say. There's a context there. And it appears that's exactly the implication here of the poet and that it seems to be the application to Solomon. Having had all he had and withstanding and keeping his wisdom and his head about him for so long in the end, he absolutely did something that was just silly, ridiculous. And let's admit something here. We've got to admit this lest we be naive to the Scripture. What is man's greatest weakness? Women. I mean, you go back to Adam and Eve and that, and you start looking at the track record of Scripture, and you look around you today, and if you're a man, you know that. Else you'd be naive to what the Bible teaches. And there's an irony here, and I'll just throw this in for two cents worth as we close here today, but think about David. David, one woman, one night. Look what that did. Look at how the consequences of that sin rippled on down as God said it would. Here's his son, a thousand women. And again, it trickled into what? An idolatry. David paid in a different way than Solomon did. David's sin was sin. The sword would not depart out of his house all the days of his life, but David's heart was still intact with the Lord at the end. Solomon's was not. That's very sad. But again, I wanted to share that part with you because, uh, again, that's part of this. We cannot set Solomon on a pedestal except as the Scripture has set him on a pedestal and shown that still he was a man. He messed up. He sinned, and it seemed like to us a very simple, silly, and elementary thing to do for a man that knew so much. And again, I say, I don't understand it, and I can't explain it, and I don't think you can understand it and explain it to me. But the thing it shows us always is there's only one who's invincible, impeccable, without sin and could not sin, and it wasn't Solomon. It was the greater than Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's our Lord and Savior. 
And that's why he's our Lord and Savior. And God puts these things in here to show us whether it's Peter's denial, David's sin, Solomon or whatever that just remind us because in our own mind we'd put Solomon in a place Solomon didn't belong. And this is why men worship men instead of worshiping God. They had their flaws. But there's all kinds of stuff here for you and I to learn from. Be humble. Be obedient. God will bless you. God will give you. He's promised to give you things spiritual, things material. And God knows more what we can handle than we had. And that may be why a lot of us are not millionaires today. I've heard that said. I ain't original me. A lot of people have said that. But God gives us contentment with whatever He gets us. A greater than Solomon is here. God bless this to your hearing today.